It's Gone Sideways. Welcome back to another episode of Shit's Gone Sideways. I am here with Naomi Mora. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? So my understanding is you are Sydney's only lesbian Lebanese ex Jehovah's Witness stand up comedian. That's right. I, it, <laughs> it's, if, it's, it's a lucky, Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's lucky we've got the Sydney part in there, right? Because right. there's about 500 that match that description in Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne's full of us. Yes. God damn. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and Perth. You should see what's going on there. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yes. I obviously know from, from speaking on a previous episode with uh, Sasha D'Souza, mm-hmm. who was an ex-Jehovah's Witness, he um, was part of the Jehovah's Witness community in Perth. Yes. So there must be a lot there. There must. But you grew up in Sydney? Yeah. So born and bred southwest Sydney. So yep. I, I grew up in Cabramatta um, yep. or Canley Vale, right next door, um, in the 80s. Yep. So I think, I mean, do you know Sydney very well? Yeah, I, I grew up in Hornsby. Yeah, right. Okay. So Sydney, Cabramatta, 80s is pretty was pretty full on. There was a lot of gang uh, drug world. Underground, yeah. I don't know things. Well, I'm actually got a um, a guy coming on the podcast next week named Danny Shannon, who is yeah, uh, okay. Um, he's like a, a big TikToker uh, who was a, he was like a heroin addict for like oh, well over a decade, and yep. he grew up in Cabramatta. That's it, right? Yeah. And so um, I've listened to a couple of things him talking about just the world of what Cabramatta was like. It sounds like it was wild. Back yeah, then. I think it was wild. I wouldn't know because yeah. I was living so young, there. right? <laughs> yes, but also a sheltered Jehovah. Witness, so mm. my exposure to that world wasn't was, much heroin floating around. <laughs> well, do you know what it was? There were loads of needles in the um, in like the gutter. So when you're preaching door to door, you walk wow. past quite a few. Like <laughs> you know, it's pretty full on. Or in the blocks of flats, um, mm. at that time it was pretty like a poor area. Yeah. Were you knocking on any d- doors of flats that you felt like, unsafe knocking on the doors? Um, look at times, mm. but I I think um. I think when you're brought up to believe sort of in the best of people, I, it didn't occur to me anything bad would ever happen to me. And actually that's a theme that's run through my whole life. It doesn't never occurs to me that something terrible will happen to me. And it it, it hasn't happened. Like nothing terrible has happened. Um, touch wood. Touch, yeah, it could, this, this uh, interview <laughs> could be the thing. Uh, no, uh, but, you know, I think um, in some ways um, – a little bit of naivety helped. Mm. Um, so I know now in retrospect you would go into like a, a block of flats. It would be a really like council uh, type um, flat and everything would be uh, amped up. Like you would have amazing uh, electronics in the house that have sports cars. So maybe now yeah, I look okay. back and I think, oh, yeah, fair enough. That that wasn't like a an interesting uh, set of priorities. It was uh, – Possibly income from proceeds sources. Of crime. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. Well, yeah. as someone that used to have plenty of proceeds of crime, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that's what it was called, so there you go. <laughs> but okay, so there weren't any specific no-go areas or anything like that? Not really, yeah. no. No, not not that I remember. Yeah. If I was younger, then maybe. Yeah. I mean, there were rough areas. You wouldn't want to go as women on your own sometimes, so yeah, sometimes sure. you'd be paired up. Or, cool. Yeah. So grew up in Karamata, um, got siblings? Yeah, so I'm the youngest of four yep. um, and the like the true afterthought. So yep. like it was um, uh, the three of them were within four years and then seven-year gap and then me. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. How about you? What's your birth order? Uh, I am the fourth of five but right. there was a divorce in there. So my older siblings, uh, Catherine, Claire and John, 
are uh, nine, 11 and 13 years older than me, right. but then there was a divorce in there right. and then my dad remarried my mum and had me and my younger sister, Mary Ann. But um, we all grew up together. So my right. mum um, was like one of best friends with my dad's first wife. You know, they, they hang out all the time and they, they, they live just down the street. So it just meant that even though these guys were my, my siblings were my half siblings, yep. we all grew up together. So um, I've always, we've always treated each other as, as full siblings. As siblings. And I mean, so I don't know about you, but for me where there's a big age gap, it's actually great. Um, you know, because you're not anywhere near competing to try and do the same things or anything like that. They're like way ahead of you. So Absolutely. Sort of feels... I mean, I grew up with like idolizing my brother. Exactly. He was nine yeah. years older than me. That's right. And then, yeah. you know, as you get older and I got bigger, suddenly yeah. we'd, we'd play footy together and, um, and had beers together and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, then <laughs> you start to notice your siblings' flaws and suddenly uh, <laughs> you I, I don't idolize them that much anymore. A hundred percent. That is weird, but it happened so late. Like for me, it didn't, um, it wasn't when I was younger. I, I, so my sister, um, 10 years apart. Um, yep. and I idolized her, spent my school holidays, you know, cause after she'd moved out, I'd spend my time with her very, very close to her my whole life. But obviously, um, she's still a Jehovah's Witness. Yes. So that was the, uh, I don't know if it's a fall from grace. I think she saw me as disappointing her and, and, yeah. um, are your brothers yeah, still out? No, yeah, they, okay. they were both out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after I, uh, before I left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that 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 was where that shift of who I was closest to in terms of siblings changed. Right. Yeah. Um, and that must have made it easier for you, considering uh, it, your your brothers had already oh, forged apart. Absolutely. There. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So the good thing was um, they'd been out for a while as well, so they had kind of settled into their own lives, and you know it was a bit of a distant thing for them. Yeah. Um, so they weren't. Uh, it wasn't fresh. Um, and when I left, I didn't think I was leaving. I, I thought I was just needing a bit of a break. That was, yeah. Okay. I didn't know I was going to leave until I left. Uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you don't, uh, send a postcard like, Hey, (laughs) I'm gone. I'm out. (laughs) Well, you know what you do actually, well, you don't have to, but I did. I sent a letter to say, I would like to be no longer a Jehovah's Witness when I, when I had decided that in my mind, right. you can send them a letter, like a resignation letter. But it was different between you, the time when you thought you were sort of holiday from it, and when you sent the letter. That's right. Yeah. It was about a year and a bit after. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And even then, even then, I thought they might still be right. Yeah. Uh, it took me a while to shake it from my head. Um, I just left thinking, well, if I want to be a lesbian, I have to leave. Yes. Um. So I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was it like um, for you growing up as a kid in Jehovah's Witness? Was was it a happy childhood? Um, uh, <laughs> yes, a, yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, the things that I think made it difficult. Um, my dad was probably difficult in a way that you know some people's dads are. Uh, yeah. So, he, in terms of his personality, very authoritarian um, in his uh, style. So, I probably lived in a little bit of fear of him. Sure. Were they both, would you say, equally devout to the JW faith? Um, I think in their hearts, yes, but my mum was very active. Um, She was a very good Jehovah's Witness. My dad didn't go to church, didn't do the preaching. He just made sure that we did. Yeah. Which is so, it was very easy to drive trucks through the holes in his, you know, arguments and his inconsistency. It was very much, you've got to do it, but I don't have to do it. Yeah. But yeah, he sort of ruled in a way that was very like with a bit of an iron fist. Um, and so I was kind of scared of him. But he, the religion works very well for 
um, people that want to run their families like that because the religion is very um, male-dominated and father is the head of the house and all that stuff. And rigid in its rules. Very rigid, yeah, love a rule. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of rules to kind of adhere to and I think broadly I was quite compliant um, and very sociable person and it's it. It kind of works in that regard. I know um, when Sasha D'Souza was on here, and uh, I think that's kind of one of the reasons we don't need to go through all of yeah. the intricate rules of um, yes. of the Jehovah's Witness face because that's been covered previously. Yeah. But um, I know he talked about this, the struggle with, um, you know, socialising with friends that weren't part of the faith, that were worldly people. Yes. Um, <laughs> Get you. Get you with the terminology. <laughs> with the lingo. I know. Yeah. Careful, so, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> no, you're right. So, yeah. so was that um, hard because you go to school and you have these friends but yeah. then outside of school um, you, yeah. you weren't really encouraged to associate with these people, right? I know. It was very hard and because I, I did have a good close circle of school friends, uh, as close as I could possibly manage. Um, yeah, well, a whole part of that network is the, is the after school yeah. so, is socialising I know, piece, but right? they were quite – I was quite lucky with them, actually. Um, they were quite understanding because I had always been such a good goody two-shoes and sort of said what I could and couldn't do. I couldn't celebrate birthdays. When you're a kid, yes. everybody else is having their birthday thing in class. I couldn't be there. I couldn't eat the cake. I couldn't give them a card. So you couldn't go to the birthday parties. Couldn't go to the birthday parties. Let alone celebrate your own. No, exactly. And they – Weirdly, on, in retrospect, um, they would send me cards with the happy birthday scribbled out on my birthday to kind of – they were very respectful, I think, of the fact that they knew what I could and couldn't do. That's really cute. cute. That's, yeah. that's thoughtful. They wanted to acknowledge your birthday but also respect your faith. That's right. That's, that's right. And, yeah. you know, I and so I didn't have a hard time particularly at school mm-hmm. um, with my friends. Um, but I think I did well to align myself to friends who would protect me. Yep. Um, so I wasn't bullied that much, just a little bit. It sounds like you're quite lucky then because I imagine f- there must be plenty of kids that yes. are Jehovah's Witnesses yes. that would uh, go through a terrible time oh, with that experience. Right? Mate, look, one of the hardest things is it's not like, you know how some sometimes school teachers live away from where they go to school so that they don't keep running into the kids that they teach? Yeah. It's not how Jehovah's Witness works. So when you are in a congregation, it's in your local area and so when you preach, you're preaching in the area where you go to school and where your friends live. So it's not uncommon to run into your friends as you're knocking on the door like an idiot on a Saturday morning oh, wow. in polyester dress. Like, or even knock on their door sometimes. That's, what, right. that's Well, that's the point. Yeah, knocking <laughs> on their door is, is, is the, the absolute worst. It's the worst. I <laughs> know. Oh, it's awful. So that's not nice if you're a Jehovah's Witness kid. I think I was lucky I was very um, outgoing and, and it meant that – but if you were introverted and, you know, you were kind of maybe struggling to make friends, ah, oh, I reckon it would have been a torture. That sounds like social suicide, having to knock on the door of a Doesn't friend it? that you go to school with, right, and be <laughs> like, good. can I talk to you for five minutes about God? It, the street cred <laughs> just dives uh, on a ma- massive dive. It's not pretty. My dad uh, was a teacher at um, St. Leo's when my uh, – he, he was a ma- math master at St. Leo's yeah, in Wurunga right. when my, sister, my brother and sister went there. Oh. And uh, one time my dad had to pick up my sister Kath from a, a house party and he yep. found out that there had been no parental supervision at the party. Oh. And so he called up like all the kids' parents that had been at the party to let them know that all their kids had been at a party with unsupervised. no – Unsupervised. Unsupervised. <gasps> and so you can imagine 
my poor sister just was like a to, social leper. After oh, that. <laughs> just wanted to die in a corner. Yeah, yep, I know. It's. I think it's. Uh, it's hard. Uh, and and actually, it's a good point because. Um, there's lots of reasons school's hard for people. And yep. so this is just another one of the reasons, right? And also I was like a bit tomboyish and I was always a big girl and that none of that was cool in the 80s. Like um, obesity was not as trendy as it is now. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. it was very much like, oh, God, how many things could set me apart, you know? Um, so, right. Yeah. So anyway, but there were other things as well because – um, our family were Lebanese yes. and the, the population in the area are very, like, Asian. So we were kind of different in that regard as well, um, which being Lebanese meant hairy, like when other people weren't hairy. Like, you know, when you're a, when you're a young girl and you go to school and, you you know, you've got to start, start shaving your legs. My dad was very anti-feminine um, uh, adjustments. So oh, he wow. didn't want us to he, shave legs. He wanted and it, you to be hairy. Yes, oh. it's horrific. That's, uh, that's so fun. that was another thing. But my sister had that much worse. I, I sort of got in a bit earlier and tried to and deal with it. And you're lucky when you're, you know, the, the fourth yes. off the bat, right? That's right. There's a few other kids that have had to fight those battles before uh, Yeah, you. and they wear them down. <laughs> so by the time, yeah, it was a bit easier. That's right. Like, yeah. My, yeah, my dad was certainly more bellow by the time yeah. me and my sister came around than yeah. um, my poor what my poor sisters had to go through. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you kind of get a different version of them. Like like lately I've been talking to my um, brothers about, um, you know, what my father was like. And in many ways I was responding to his reputation. What right. what I was seeing was less of uh, that side than my brother saw. Like it was just a different – like by the time I came around I think it was a bit like oh, you can't do this perfectly in the way I want. Yeah. So just – He'd been, yeah. he'd been beaten down a <laughs> bit by right. fatherhood. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I wish they'd all start that way, then he wouldn't have that have to go through that journey. Yes, true. Mm. Well, uh, I, I'm very, very happy I was number four and sounds like you were yep. too. Yeah, right. it's, the, it's, the way, it's the number. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I mean, what was next? So you went to, to high school? Yep. In the, still in Cabramatta area? Yeah, still Canley uh, Vale. So yep. um, I was lucky that my school friends from, you know, infants, we mostly um, followed through into high school. Um, and, look, I loved school um, because I think I learnt things that were interesting. Um, I think I was a good student. So some of that sort of religious structure meant, you know, I was able to um, learn. But also I thought it was fun, like hanging out with people and, you know, joking around. It's always been a thing. So It's interesting uh, from when I spoke to Sasha that Jehovah's Witnesses aren't encouraged to go to university, yeah. right? But, yeah. but um, you're encouraged to uh, do well. Fine to be educated at, at high school. Yeah. But then that's where. Well, they just go up until it's legally required. Yeah. So I left school in year 10. Mm. So I didn't get to um, do my high school certificate. So I was 16 when I left. Um, and that's what you were encouraged to do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I just, the, the encouragement was do something that will get you some work. Uh, but the main thing is preach as much as you can mm. um, because the end of the world's going to be any day now. Uh, any day now. Uh, so. What I did was I just did like a TAFE course um, and then very quickly moved into uh, preaching full-time and then supplementing it with just part-time work. How did you feel about that piece that um, – I know Sasha talked about that cognitive dissonance of yeah. praying for the end of the world and the destruction, right, Yes. Um, while also having these friends yep. who are worldly people who that would include, right? Well, absolutely, and that was a real um, – barrier for me because not just that I just would think most people are 
good people Decent. trying their best. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, of course, you always sort of you, you know saw bad people. Yeah. But I even thought, well, bad people still have potential to be good. You know, so, so right. it, it's hard to hold that thought and think all these people are going to get killed. Um, but there are many stories in the Bible. Um, so what I do in comedy is sometimes I'll pick out a Bible story and and just talk to people about that story. That's great. Um, and there are many stories in the Bible where God was just like Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities, bad people. And he just destroyed everyone in those two cities except for, you know, one man and his family. Yeah. So it's not like he hasn't got a track record. For, you know, so I, I could believe that he would and he could just destroy the whole earth if that's how he, you know, if that's what he thought was the right thing to do. I remember being so bored in um, prison, right, when I was yeah. in quarantine that I was reading some of the Bible. There was a bit I, re- I remember reading about um, when Jesus first appeared, I mean, sorry, when God first appeared to Moses yes. and asked him, right, and uh, Moses kind of knocked him back and yep, God was planning to kill Moses. He got he lost his shit with Moses. And, 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 and just so, suddenly. Yeah. yeah. And, and it sounded so fickle and angry. I know. And I was like, you don't, you don't normally hear about that bit. There's lots know. of little bits like that where you see him as a really kind of angry and um, bit of a reactive. Dick. Bit of a yeah, dick. he yeah. could be a bit of a dick. <laughs> and there's lots of um, there's lots of stories to support that school of thought. Right. Um, but but what's interesting as well is um, uh, the way it's pitched to you differently. Um, so you don't see it like that when you're in it. You see it that um, Moses was weak, and mm. you know, and God sort of just got frustrated. So you're right. like, all oh, right. So when I'm weak, that's great. <laughs> That's going to be the response. Yeah. But hang on, yeah. did you get a Bible in when you were in? I so how does that work? Uh, I found one in the like common area because right. I was just looking for anything to read because I had when you first got to a prison yeah. in 2021, you were put into um, quarantine for two weeks for COVID, um, oh, right. reading COVID test, and right, so right. for the first five four days mm. um, pending a COVID test, I was locked away with no TV, nothing to read, nothing. I was just stuck in my own thoughts. Oh, and that was goodness. the last place you want to be Absolutely. when you've just been arrested, right? Yes. Um, so that was probably the hardest bit of the whole experience. But then we were allowed out for half an hour a day to, to exercise. With and get others? Fresh air. Yeah, with own. others. Yep. Um, I won't get into the fact that they were getting us mixed with like other groups that like had been there for a week and that like could be cross-contaminating these guys. Oh, with yeah. COVID so before they, it was, oh, I, I tried to point that shambles. out to the prison guards. I was like, you, your whole quarantine <laughs> process is mixed up. And they were like, you're a fucking criminal. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I tried Stop to help thinking. them. Stop yeah. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. These grunts aren't, aren't too um, worried about logic. but. Yeah. Uh, I did find on one of the shelves it was hopeless because there was only one book in English and it was the and it was the Bible yeah, right. and the rest were all like Spanish books or something like that okay. and uh, not so enough time really... to learn Spanish to <laughs> pick up those no so I was I just needed something to keep my mind active yeah so that's why I was like so did the Bible you just good. did you read it from a like from Genesis to the end. I only, I only read about a quarter of it. But you started from the beginning. From the start, yeah. Yeah. What did and, you think of that? Uh, I mean, there was a lot of going on about um, guys who had Beget a million children. Guy. I and know. They, and, <laughs> and they lived to be about like two thousand uh, years old, or yes. fucking like that. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely. Like, I mean, I do some of that in there because, like, the guy that lived to the oldest guy in the Bible lived. His name is Methuselah, mm. and he lived to 969 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All this stuff I didn't know. I right? know. I know. And then there's a whole chapters of like this guy beget 
another guy, another guy, another guy. And, you know, it's cool because at that time clearly women weren't involved in, um, you know, family because uh, no woman is named. Like the only woman is named is Eve uh, at, yep. that, at that point. Uh, it's just, yeah. But That's how it was. It's a pretty boring start to a book. It's so boring. <laughs> I know. It's insane. It is insane. You know, it's uh, like the world's biggest selling book and like yep. it has no reason to be. No. No. It's very dull. And I've read it so many times. Yeah. Have you really? That, yeah. From, yeah. You know when you see in movies that they go like, um, oh, you know, Luke chapter 7 yes. verse 12. Do you actually know? Could you? Yes. And I can recite the books of the Bible because, you know, one Bible is made up of lots of little books. Mm-hmm. Um, like Harry Potter um, series, uh, yep. but um, less interesting. Um, and so, yeah, you'd have to know, like, because sitting down in church is all about looking stuff up in your Bible. They'll say something and then you would have to find it and read it, but they pick little bits and pieces. So it's like yep. a favourites box when you go to church as opposed to, like, if you read around yeah. those things or if you read some of the weird stuff, that they're, they're not the bits they like to talk about. They like to talk about... All the nice bits, which I don't mind the nice bits, but it's not the full picture. But when you read the full book, you're <laughs> yes. like, hold on, there's a lot of questions here. Yes, there's a lot of questions. And so is there a different – Is it, I forget if Sasha mentioned – is there a different version of the Bible for Jehovah's Witnesses? They, yeah, they have their own version. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, I don't know. what's. I, I guess they can um, edit things in a way that they want in that version because they, they're big on using God's name, which they say is Jehovah. Have you compared the two – Bibles? No, no, no. I'm not very. I'm sure other people definitely have. Yeah. I just couldn't like. It, I you, didn't care too much it. for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> because for me, my reason for leaving was more about my sexuality than it was about because I thought they were wrong. Yeah. Um. And I know, like my my brothers are different, so they had a different experience. Mine was just like, oh, I feel like this. Everyone is saying this is a really awful thing to feel, so I must repress it. And then eventually, I just couldn't. So that's that was the main reason. How yeah. young were you when you had an inkling that you were gay? Oh, embarrassingly young. Not really? in a way that it wasn't sexual. Like I would have been six, mm. and I probably just felt I don't know. When do you when did you notice girls? And I don't mean actually like to try and date them, but just thought, oh, this is an interesting. I want their attention. That sort of time. When, um, when can you recall? I, I would have been very young as well. Yeah, like about. Yeah. I, I want to say six or seven or yep. something. Yep. That, not not checks. nothing terrible, but just literally like I want your I want to hang be near you. Yeah. That thing. Yep. Just having a a, a crush on them or yeah. like just a, yeah, a, a innocent crush yeah. or just or just like, like that, yeah. you knew that you wanted their attention, yes. I think, yep. in a sense. Yeah. So I just had it exactly like that, but it was just on the in my world at that time, it was just on the wrong gender. Yeah. So when boys were chasing girls around the schoolyard, I was chasing girls and I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm heading in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, and because that's, yeah, I wasn't chasing, but I, I, I felt like it. And I, and I thought, oh, this, this, this is weird. And so when did that go from, um, just like a, a subconscious feeling that you, to, yeah. to being like, actually yeah. this, this might be a problem Yeah. because Pu- it's kind of complicate my life. Yeah. Like puberty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. puberty for me came young. Like I had, I mean, just the joys of it all, but I was early puberty. Mm. Um, so I was probably ahead of the others. You know what I mean? So I was probably thinking differently at that age. And then I just thought at that stage I thought this will pass because they mm. say that. They kind of say like it could be a phase. So when you read 
the Jehovah's Witness literature and they they target some of it at teenagers and they'll be like, you know, don't masturbate and don't do, don't have unclean thoughts and all of these things. But in there somewhere they do, they do talk about homosexuality and they do sometimes refer to it as like a phase in the way that people do. Yeah, okay. So I thought, oh, this will this will pass. You know, maybe it's because you do, know. Do they say anything about it being explicitly frowned upon or banned? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's considered in the way that a lot of biblical based religions would say it was not like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because basically they were full of gay people. You know, yeah, that's where okay. Sodom, the word Sodom, Sodomized. Yeah, right. that's right. That's where it kind of came from. So it was very clear to me. In the in the short references that there were to gay people in the Bible, that it was bad, like mm. you, you know, you you shouldn't. So, yeah, I wasn't exactly, and I didn't know a gay person mm. at all. Like, there's just no, n- not not actively, actively. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> Is, can you be active? Yeah, I think you can be actively gay. I don't uh, know. Someone who was identifying themselves. Yes, thank as, you. Good. You know, yeah. Yes, exactly. So I didn't have any sense of what that would look like. So as I, as it sort of really ramped up, and I thought, oh God, this is this is bad. Like I'm a bad person, definitely. Were you involved in like having social conversations with your your girlfriend, your friends, where about boys, and you had to like, oh, to yeah. bluff, and you had to bluff it. I did absolutely, yeah. 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 You just you, I'm hiding. I'm just trying to um, go with the flow. But yeah. saying that, I think I was very specific. I I wasn't someone who was like, oh, I love men. I think I was more like, I only like this sort of man, like very niche (laughs) um, that I will never run into. (laughs) Uh, So we never have to test that idea. Um, That sounds really feminine. That's how I managed. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I got by. And look, I didn't get male attention because I just was fat and men are funny about that. And also, you know, probably not very feminine. Mm. And in that religion especially, um, it's four women to one man. Four women to one man. So if you're a man in a Jehovah's Witness religion, you had pick of the the bunch. Right. You could just say you. And really, if she wanted to get married young, which they often do because there's no sex before marriage, right? Yeah. So yeah. married. I've been to so many weddings. It's unbelievable because everyone's getting married at like 18, 19 because I want to get their end away. Yeah. yeah. Or they leave. Rage, raging, yeah. Exactly. So um, – so yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, so that that was a kind of um, what was I saying? We were talking about uh, male attention, right? Oh so yeah. Were, so I didn't get male attention. So it wasn't a big thing for me to try and beat. Like it was all fine. I yep. I was being left alone, and I wanted to be left alone, and I didn't want too much attention drawn to it. Um, but, but there's part of you that's obviously sitting there thinking, like, where do I fit into the world? Oh, mate, you know, where's yeah. my place? Because yeah, I don't want these guys, and they don't want me. But this, I want someone, I, right? Well. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't jump there. I went. I went to. That's fine. Then I won't be with anyone. Like in a way that a nun would make that decision, like mm-hmm. to marry God. I just thought, well, this is it. Then, um, you know, in my teens, I was like, okay, well, I can't marry a man and do all that because I can't bring myself to do it. Because honestly, I just is something I've always known, and it's never been a thing for me. Yeah, I'm a gold star lesbian. Just in case you're wondering. Yes. Uh, so, do you is know what it, that is? Does that mean you've never been with a guy? Indeed. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I, I know a guy, uh, a friend of mine, who's a platinum gay. What does that mean? <laughs> platinum. Oh, he was. He was. You know it. I think I know it. Was he um, a, a cesarean birth? Yes. No, he's never touched a vagina <laughs> in his life, including his mother's. He was born cesarean. He's never touched Amazing. a woman. So he's he's never. 
touched a vagina in any way in his entire life. See, and it's something to be proud of, I think, because yeah. it's, it's a big achievement. <laughs> you don't even have control over the start of it. That's amazing. <laughs> That's the other reason why I knew what a gold star lesbian okay. was. I was like, hold on, use your logic. Yeah. Indeed, exactly. Yeah. So there you go. So um, so so for me, what I, I just decided I was just never going to be with anyone. Yep. And I thought, okay, I can do that. Uh, and I tried to do that for a period, and then I just hit a bit of a a wall, and I thought, this is miserable. Like I'm 18 mm. and I've decided never like to ever be with anyone. And now Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs are such that they believe Armageddon's going to come, all the bad people get destroyed, Jehovah's yep. Witnesses stay, they turn the earth into a paradise and they live forever. But if you were single, you're not going to hook up in the paradise. You're done. Yeah, it's already, ga- to- it's already game over for you yes. before paradise. That's right. You'll be there, but you'll be on your own. And the point is they want to do that because they have to think about population um, – because like, one of my most natural questions is, if we all live forever, how won't we just fill the earth? Like forever is a really difficult time to get in your head. Yeah. Like this was a big barrier for me. I remember thinking I I could probably find enough things to research and to do and to experience for about 100,000 years. If Even if it's everything, like if you thought everything you ever want to do, a hundred thousand years would cover it, wouldn't it? These, are these actual thoughts you'd had about yes. what you would do if you were living forever? Yes. Because they, <laughs> <laughs> you have to think about it because they stop you from doing anything now. Mm. So then I'm like, that's fine. If I don't study. What am I going to do forever? Forever. And I'd get to a point and I'm like, okay, let, let's, let's call it 200,000 years, right? Then yeah. I would want it to end. Don't you just want – isn't things only precious because you've got a limited – like period of time to enjoy it. Otherwise, if you're just going to live on and on and on, just trying to think of what that means, I couldn't fathom why that would be enjoyable. And I felt at some point I would just want to die. Yeah, I mean, there's a. I remember a scene from, <laughs> from the movie Troy where Brad Pitt as Achilles right, yeah, is talking yeah. about how things are more beautiful because you're mortal when he That's, was a god because you're not going to live around forever, right? Mate, who knew so there going... was such depth in the film <laughs> Troy, which I have not even watched, but now I want to watch it. But yes. Yeah, so I, I agree. You know, you get to a point like what else if you're, a, you're a vampire or something, you're living forever, you're like, this is getting boring. Or you at know? least I someone think. trying to kill you the whole time might make it a bit more interesting because then you have to be escaping. No. So anyway, in the end, I, I felt like um, – well, firstly, I ca- I concluded I didn't know I was gay. I concluded I was trans because I thought I must be a man trapped in a woman's body for me to be attracted to women. They were the only two circumstances I understood. Mm. Men and women are together. Yeah. If I like women, mm. I must be a man. Yeah. That's just and I was a little bit tomboyish. I mean, not massively, but just a little bit. And so I thought this is it. This is what I you know I've either got to do that or I'm going to kill myself. Which these were the my, what I thought my two options were because what was the point? And it must yeah. be hard because there's. No one is openly gay in the Jehovah's Witness nope. faith. So there's no, there's no one there as a resource to talk no. to about this. Yeah, kind of and you couldn't. Like yeah. I knew, I eventually did talk about it, but I talked about it because I thought this is the end. I eventually told my sister because I thought if I don't tell someone, I like I'm just going to disappear one day, and no one's not going to know. What, what did she say? Well, I think she was quite understanding. All things considered, she didn't jump in and, you know, judge me harshly, but she definitely wanted to steer me to reflecting on whether I should spend more time or I'm not going to say conversion therapy because there's not really a Jehovah's Witness conversion therapy thing, but like change my mind. Right. 
And I and um, think about it until you've changed into yes, into your straight, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of okay with gay people as long as they're not active, as we discussed. So as long as you didn't act on it, you could be in the religion and be gay. You can be a celibate gay. Correct. I mean, that sounds pretty, pretty boring, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is very boring. Yes, but and you dangerous. Said, yep. So you said the ratio was like four women to every guy. Yeah. So that means that there must be a lot of uh, women, women that never marry. Correct. And just spend their lives alone. Alone, or with each other, spinsters. Which was another uh, life track I <laughs> I played in my mind, like in my sliding doors moment. Well, I could stay because I knew lots of women in the um, congregation I was in who were living together mm. and kind of platonically spending their lives together. And I thought, could I do that? Is that a good sort of solution? And, you know, it just became one of those where you're like, this is just like a torture. Um, Because really I'm a loving person and I wanted to be loved. And I don't mean that necessarily. Like, of course you were like, your your hormones are a pumping. And so that's part of it. But it wasn't the main part. It was just like I wanted a close, intimate relationship, which I could see people having, but I wasn't going to be able to have that because whatever it was with a man, it would be more like a friendship. Yep. And I don't, you know. I mean, sex life is so important to people's lives, right? Yes. And if you're yeah. saying that, I mean, it sounds like it's much more <coughs> advantageous in Jehovah's Witness to be a man than a woman, right? Oh, my God, if- yes. And that's another <coughs> reason why I thought I must be a man because I'm like, I'd be laughing. It used to really frustrate me. I felt like I had currency in the wrong gender. Like, you know what I mean? I, I felt like all the things I knew I was strong at, whatever, was not helping me as a woman in the Jehovah's Witness organisation because no one's like, you know you know what, if you're going to have these four women to choose from, why don't you go for the short, fat, funny one? Like, that's yep. awesome. That's going to – and they're never doing that. <laughs> it's not a thing. No. So it's like it was It was quite hard to kind of go, well, I've got – it's like being in a foreign country with your own currency. It's like, well, this is not working here. Yeah. And it's very annoying. Um. So, yeah, that was, a, that was another one of the reasons. But, I mean, certainly – it didn't take very – it literally took one or two trips to a lesbian bar to know that I wasn't trans. It, so it, that really to me was a reflection of my um, stupid and narrow upbringing, uh, both as a Jehovah's Witness but also in my culture, um, which at the time was uh, Lebanese. And you don't really see um, – you know, it, in that culture it's not that mm. acceptable um, <coughs> either. So, yeah, sort of double whammy. Did you have close friends um, – within the JW faith or, or uh, outside of it that you could confide in with this kind of stuff? Or was the only um, person you spoke I, to your sister? Yeah, the first person was my sister. I did have close friends, um, but I couldn't tell them this. There's a real culture of um, dobbing. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm. So if I said – if I'd done something wrong against the religion or was starting to talk about things that I probably shouldn't talk about, uh, there – we were all trained to to talk to the the elders, to talk to the priests about the fact that this is what you had heard from this person. Right. And you do it with this intention, not to get them in trouble, but to save them. Yeah. So that's how come you would do that. I so, mean, that's yeah. probably why there's so few Jehovah's Witness criminals because snitching is frowned upon <laughs> in the criminal fraternity, right? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> They're not cut from the right. What, you dog? <laughs> Yeah, it's not going to work. Uh, although there are many criminals in the Jehovah's organisation, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, not, you know. You know. Not you know of, yes. Yes, yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm sure it happens. Because what you do is you get very good at living a double life, right? right. Which, which I'm sure, you know, I think there are some um, criminal aspects to that where you can switch off one thing and go into a different zone and not really 
see an issue that this is your this persona and this is something yeah, else. Yeah. You're having multiple masks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you get caught out. It's not good for your mental health um, to live like that. I, I mean, I did it for over a decade and yeah. it's exhausting. It is. You know? And so <clears throat> what happens is you kind of want to escape it a little bit yeah. mentally, like, you know, and you just want to be like, so this idea of just blow the whole thing up is what I ended up doing, right? Because I, I felt this way, but I knew, so I knew I couldn't, stay because all those options were very depressing, although I tried thinking about them. Where were you when you were having this this thought process? Well, I was living with a friend of mine who was a Jehovah's Witness not far from where I grew up, so like quite close to mum and dad and stuff, but I wanted to get out of the house. Yeah. Um, so I was living with her. I was uh, preaching full-time and had a like crappy part-time job to supplement that. Um, and so this was after the age of 16, so what, 17, 18, 19? Yes, yeah, about eight, 18, 19 is when I'd sort of moved out. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess at that point I was trying to be the best Jehovah's Witness I could because it's not like you're like, oh, um, I feel like I have these, you know, gay feelings and, you know, I'm okay about it but they're not okay. It's like, no, I'm not okay. Mm. This is a really bad thing for me to have. I'm a really bad person. That's where, that's the starting point, you know. So you're not like, don't judge me. You're like, I'm judging myself. Yeah. It's not anyone else, you know, adding to that. I mean, they do, but not intentionally. That sounds like a hard thing to be grappling with and a heavy burden. It was. It was a bit of a heavy burden, which sounds so stupid now because I I hear lots of stories (laughs) about people that suffer for years and years. Like I know people that were gay who got married, had children, and then, you know, really waited to their, you know, their their 40s and 50s to be able to get out of it and express how they actually feel. And I'm not saying I wish I had done that. I'm just mildly appalled that it only took me like two years of trying to live like that before I was like, I can't do this. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. We've all got um, different loads that we can manage, right? <laughs> Before guess. it's like this is just too much. It's too much. Our, our pain thresholds are different. It felt like a really long time, you know, but now I look back at it and I think it's such a short time in my life. But I was in so much, I think, internal turmoil mm. that I, I didn't feel I could sustain it. So I got to a point where I was like, this is it really. I'm just either going to – look, if I'm going to be gay, I'm going to die at Armageddon, right? So I might as well just die now. Or die at Armageddon. They're, they're my two kind of options. They're and both shitty options, they're right? They're shitty options. Life. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. So I I got to a point where I was feeling quite like that and feeling very low. And I it was probably the, like I'm not a depressive um, that way, but I was literally not leaving the house so two ha- weeks, not getting So had you gone to a lesbian bar during this nope, place? Or never. It was, it was later? Yeah. It was later. Okay. Yeah. And then what happened was I wrote an email. So both my elder brothers who had already left had just moved to London together and they got a house share with their partners um, and that was, you know, they were kind of there to do some European, you know, do the European thing, spend some time And was time that in scandalous London. in your family that they left? No, because no? they had already, my parent, my dad was already shunning them. Uh, it, they, he wasn't talking to them because they'd left the religion. Uh, my mum had always talked to all of us all the time. Yep. So she'd never done the shunning thing. I'm very, very grateful. Um, Did your brothers leave at the same time? No. My eldest brother left first um, and then my other brother left um, after that. And he had tried getting married and living a life that he was supposed to and then sort of woke up to it um, after a few years of marriage and so kind of left all that. Um, And and together they they were, I suppose, I think my eldest brother was helping my other brother and then they kind of both moved to London. So then I write an email um, back in the day when, you know, 
email was a novelty. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I did a big dump of everything to my um, my next brother, my next oldest brother, not my eldest. Yeah. And I said everything, how I felt. I said I thought I was trans. I, I thought I would have to, you know, I don't know what I was going to do um, and that just how I was feeling. Mm. And I was very lucky because it must have been daytime there and it was nighttime here and um, soon after he received it, he must have freaked out at getting it and, you know, picked up the phone and was like, just, why don't you just come over here? Just take some time out, have a think about Because I, I wasn't being left alone. So I started, people knew I was down and not really engaging and the way Jehovah's Witnesses work is they like surround you with love and like, because they want to make sure you don't go. Right. So they were sensing something was wrong and then I was Must getting… Must be a key indicator that someone possibly is having doubts. Yes, right? yes. And, and if you is... have doubts, they're not so much on addressing those doubts. They're more <laughs> like lo- like embracing you with love and like… Smother you with love to try and distract you from yeah. whatever thoughts you were having, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think I just felt like I just couldn't get enough headspace to really think what am I going to do. But all I felt was just overwhelmed. So he was like, I'm going to send you some money in your account because, you know, you had to get like a, what's it called, like a working holiday visa, mm-hmm. had to have a certain amount of money in my account. I'm going to get tickets. And eight weeks later, eight weeks again, um, I flew to London. Was that frowned upon yeah. within Jehovah's <laughs> Witness that you were even leaving the country? Oh, no, they were okay with that because I had said I would go to the – like to Jehovah's Witness congregation in London. Yeah. Okay. And that's what I thought I was going to do. I never did. And um, not uh, even once. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Very soon after I yeah. arrived, I think my brothers were like, "All right, like, um, you know, want to give me some space." But um, my brother and his girlfriend uh, took me to my first lesbian bar in London, and that was like. So they were, they were like, "Okay, you're here now. Cut the shit. You're out." We're, this is no. Op- they were treading very gently because I was fully still in in my head. Yeah. I thought I was, you know. So they were just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, not pushing too hard. But maybe they thought, you know, we show her a bit more of the world. That's it. I think they would make just, her own conclusion, right? I think they were just like, let's do a, just just get a, a row of lesbians in front of this woman and see if that helps. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like some kind of therapy. <clears throat> and so, it did. And did it help? Not immediately, but very soon after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> immediately, I thought, oh no, God, this is terrifying. This is not me at all. Like mm. it's such a big jump from never going to bars, never going to nightclubs, to Massive culture shock. Oh, yeah. And I just – I thought all of it was bad. And at that point I thought the minute I step into this, Armageddon's going to come and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be here. Like that's how my mind was working. Ridiculous. Um, So, yeah, it took a little while. And then at that time it was – internet was – I mean, I know it makes me sound very odd, but it feels like it wasn't that long ago, but there were like chat rooms on the internet. And I got onto, um, you know, London lesbian chat rooms and just chatted. And I think I needed that because I'm not someone who can – you know, just go into a bar and go, hey, it's just not yep. – I just don't have that. So um, it was nice to get to know people and then they organised, you know, and just like normal people having normal conversation who happened to be a lesbian. I needed that. I needed to just know if they were normal and I, I so that I could identify. And then they organised like meet meetups where like we only know each other's pseudonyms online and shall we all meet here and have a drink. And that was how I started to um, engage with that community and – um, grow a network and I'm still in contact with people from the very first meet and in fact I met my first partner there um, so that that was you know that was how it kind of kicked off for me then. right and so I mean how did it feel going on your first date I don't know I suppose it felt 
it's weird because when you're brought up as a Jehovah's Witness, you have to knock on someone's front door and like strike up a conversation. I was fine with that. I could talk to anyone. I still sort of like that's a weird skill that you kind of get taught because you have to engage very quickly with someone and go, you know, be generous and, you know, ask questions. And I didn't find that that But it's not really you, is it? It's you're talking about God and you're there to do a job. Yes. Suddenly when it's like there's no script and it's you having to talk about just you. Right. Suddenly, what that felt terrifying. Well, I it was a bit terrifying, but I still, I still think I was in such a headspace about it that I didn't. Yeah, I I I don't remember feeling that nervous about it. I just thought I'll be friends, like just be friends with everyone because that's what I was kind of used to. I didn't think this is going to end up as a romantic um, connection that developed out of a friendship. Yeah, Um, and that I felt probably a bit more comfortable with. Um, And I was clumsy as hell. I don't know how you're supposed to, you know, spark things up. I hadn't even gone on a date. To me, it was just like a friendship group, and then things kind of escalated. So, uh, you know, just so clumsy. And you're not taught any well. I don't know. Were you taught how to date and how to ask girls out? Is that something that's – how do you get taught that under normal circumstances? Um, I think it's like <laughs> a bunch of other guys all as like a research, it's like a constant field trip. Someone <clears throat> tries something. Okay, and, and then they report <clears throat> back. Yep. Right. You see okay. other guys, you see, you know, you go to a school dance and you yep. see what other guys are doing, oh, that might work. Or, and then give it a go. Um, yeah. So I think you you, you – Explore these things by a bunch of other guys that you're mates with trying, trying. and failing before you. Right? So maybe that's the gap, really. That that that's it. So I never I never saw how lesbians interacted with each other. Mm. I didn't know. I'd always known men to do the approaching. So it's like, how do who approaches when it's two women? Like mm. I don't know some very boring and basic things now on your retrospect. But that was kind of I was like, who 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 takes the first? I don't know. So yeah, that was a weird time. But I haven't turned back. And did it, I mean, was there a moment when you just realised actually this is this is the right feeling, this feels right? Yeah, like really soon, really soon after I met lesbians that I could identify with that I thought, oh, so there are just, like you can just be a little bit of a tomboy and it's not like a big bad thing. It's like it's totally acceptable. In fact, at that time it was quite hard to be quite a girly lesbian. Mm. I think it's much... It's very different now, but at that time, you know, it was very obvious, uh, let's put it that way. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's that, and that's considered okay. And there were all sort of different types of women and it was very female-focused without feeling like we all just have to um, bow to men, yeah. which was what I was used to. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, m- men had a lot of the power as I was brought up. So it was weird to take that away and go, oh, we're still okay. Like yep. I don't need a man to make me laugh. Like I'm making you laugh. That's fine. I don't. You know this. I would often Your have pal. to. Right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. <laughs> no, but you know it is a weird thing. Like yeah. Anyway. And when you had your first kiss, did yeah. you... it was horrific. Was it? Yeah. Because I just dived in. I had never kissed anyone. Well. What happened was I had met up with someone who I'd met on the internet and she's like, come up to Manchester. So I was like an idiot. Who would do this now? I never met her in my life and I got on a train from London to Manchester to meet her and stay with her. This is just huge like alarm bells. It's a murder plot, right? It, it really does. And that's the thing. When you come out of a religion, you're so naive and mm. you're so vulnerable mm. um, to bad people. 
And I don't know if it's a combination of luck or whether I did use some intuition to go, she's okay. Um, but I got there. By the time I got there, she had hooked up with another woman, right? So they were there together. So oh, well, that's that fine. I, awkward for you though. Well, it? it was a bit gooseberry situation, and I think we were a bit like nothing romantic had happened, but it was kind of like a, sort of a, a, a more flirty um, conversation, I guess. Anyway, they took me to this lesbian bar in Manchester. I think I want to say it's called Vanilla, and that was just so awkward because it was a very intense environment. I was still quite fresh out, and so I was a bit nervous yeah. and then they were fully like you have to have your first kiss because I hadn't at that point mm. and I was like oh my god this is a nightmare I know I have to like I know I have to break this dry spell of <laughs> my first mm. 19 or, no I, by then I was 21 you know 21 years uh, I need to like actually kiss someone it was not great but in a way it kind of just got that out of the way yeah yeah just get rid of the, the mystique or the mystique you know, whatever yeah you- yeah. You're putting it on a pedestal. It just needed to be done so then you can move on. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it was nice because even – I'm sure it was awful for her as well, but um, <laughs> I, at least it wasn't someone I really cared about. So that was kind of good to just get that out of the way. Yeah. But did that help you to, I guess, reaffirm that this is this is yeah. right for me? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, by then I was on, on, that, on that train. Mm. I just needed to find the right stop. So, yep. yeah, I, yep. I, I yep. was like, okay – just need to kind of navigate my way through. And so how long did you live in London for? Um, I ended up there, well, ultimately 11 years, but I came back to um, renew like my visa and then I went back again um, during that time because I was on like a two-year working holiday visa. Yep. So, um, but I loved it there. And and now I think it's not a bad strategy and I can get why people sometimes just leave mm. an area to do things like come out or to leave a religion and something, not be around your community. It was really unfathomable for me to go and try and come out here uh, where I thought I could, I knew people, like people knew me. I just couldn't deal with that. Well, I mean, when Sasha shared his story, right, about mm. leaving the Jehovah's Witness faith, yeah. I mean, it must be, it was so hard because he got kind of cut off from all his friends and family and had to start from scratch Yeah, uh, while in Australia, right? Uh, whereas, in the same street, um, yeah. <laughs> whereas when people, a lot of people, um not nothing to do with leaving a religion, go overseas, they have that feeling of starting from scratch, right? Yes. You've got to make new friends for the first time. You've got to do all this stuff. Yeah. So uh, it, it does seem easier in your head to think of it, it that's um, right. when you're doing it from an international trip point 100%. of view, right? Yeah, because and that's exactly right. You have to find yourself. That's why people go overseas to go, who, who am I? And this was just part of that. Who am I as a, as a woman yeah. and who am I, what do I believe in? So yeah. they were the two things that were kind of happening at the same time. Uh, time, but yeah. so so you told your parents. You told everyone that you were leaving the faith a year and a half, or was it, was it after yeah. you got to London. I got to London. Yeah, I suppose it must have been around that time because yeah. I, I knew I would have to come home to renew my visa. And while I was away, I did tell my sister, who then told my mum, mm. and my mum really struggled. Jeez, mm. with that news. But you, did your dad find out then? No. Okay. I wanted to tell him in person. Did they find out the double whammy that you're leaving and you're gay? Well, it it means the same thing. 
in a Does sense. Oh, okay. Well, sorry to use my hand this way, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> it, it, if I was going to be a lesbian and active, uh, I would have to leave. Yes. Yes. But but it, but if you were to say I'm leaving, and by the way, I'm also a lesbian, then then there's the double, true. right? That's true. Well, yeah. I said it the other way around, and this is how I felt. I'm a lesbian, right. and so I have to leave. Got it. Okay. I, did, I wish I didn't have to leave. Yeah. That was kind of how I felt, but I do because this is how I am. Yeah. So that was. And that's what I think my mum was very hurt. Like the whole thing was devastating um, for her and probably, I, I swear, I mean, again, time warps over, uh, you know, years. Mm. But every time I would call home she would be crying. Like oh. she would be upset. So I would like avoid calling and, you know, she was just thought, well, in her mind I was going to die at Armageddon. That, that's it, along with my two brothers because mm. right? that's how – that's how they're taught. She's got one kid left. She's got one kid Let's left. Let's go to paradise. I know. Forever. I know. Lucky it's her favourite. So. <laughs> no, I don't know. That. No, no, she doesn't have favourites. She's good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that, you know, and I knew that would that would hurt her and she wouldn't get it. Mm. Like she was never going to – she was just as naive, if not more naive than me. She was mm. brought up in a little village in Lebanon, moved to Australia when she was – you know, it's, she's got no clue yeah. what the world, the bigger world is like. So – I guess she thought it was dangerous and, you know, I was not near her and all that stuff. So, yeah, she's come a very far uh, way in her uh, acceptance or, you know, yeah, tolerance of it. I mean, it's great that you can still speak to her through all that, right? Yeah. Because so many can't. Exactly. Well, that's another way that I feel lucky. So I feel lucky I had somewhere to go when I left. I feel lucky um, uh, that I, you know... I don't know. I, I've been lucky for for something awful to happen. This is probably as good as I can expect it to have gone. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty grateful. Um. Pretty great. That sounds wanky. <laughs> Cut that out. I think it's fair to be grateful. All right. Well, I am a bit grateful. Yeah. Because yeah, it could have been much harder. And because uh, now, because of the work we do with um, recovering from religion, which are like support groups for people leaving, yep. like peer support groups. Um. You hear of stories and you're like, God, I don't know if I could have done it if there was nowhere to go. I don't know what I'd be capable of because really if there's no one to look out for you, that is exactly why people kind of struggle and, you know, sometimes really suffer and go back. That is the whole point of why they shun you is so that you come back. Well, they also do it to protect themselves just in case things work out. They don't want their people to know, oh, actually, you might have a nicer time not being there. Um, so they're protecting themselves as much as they are, um, yeah, trying to get you back. I mean, it sounds a bit like, um, you know, when some guys get out of prison, right? Yes, and they exactly. um, they only feel like they connect with and identify with uh, other guys that they went to prison with yeah. and the rest of society can shun them. And so you can see how easy it is for guys to fall yep. back into a cycle of crime and end up back in prison, well, right? Because I, that's all they know. I've understand. I do understand that feeling. And when when you hear about those stats, and like I, I would totally get it. There's a comfort to. I'm not saying it's enjoyable, but there's a comfort to knowing uh, to your community. Yeah. And so if your community happens to be behind bars. You'll, you'll be potentially more comfortable there, yeah. uh, especially if the big wide world is awful to you. If there's guys that you've been in prison with and you've gone through crisis points yeah. together and you've yeah. had this kind of shared trauma um, and then you get out and regular everyday society won't give you a job, yes. won't give you a bank account because you're a former bank robber, all these kind of things, yeah, right. suddenly your life's so hard and suddenly the only guys that will buy you a beer and give you somewhere to stay are guys that were – in prison with you, uh, suddenly you're like, oh, makes total sense. A criminal fraternity makes sense. Right? Yeah. So, so how do uh, you how do you not? 
how how do you not go down that? I mean, I I was very lucky that my friends and family mm. just um were were there for me. But right. a lot of guys don't have that. Don't have you know, that. I had yep. my pa- I had my parents' place to stay at, and I was off. Luckily enough, I had friends that offered me jobs yep. and employment and helped me to get back on my feet. Yep. Uh, I realize how privileged I am for all of that. A lot yep. of guys don't have that. that- so um, it's exactly all the education yeah. and resources to um, to do to pick themselves back up. That's right. right. Which is why I try and that's why comedy is so important to me, yeah. right? Because yeah. I want to show guys like you don't have to keep doing the same thing. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You don't have to continue being a criminal. You don't have to keep breaking the law. That you can you can actually have a think about what would you really want to do, and if you think about that and, and work at it, you can. You can do something with it. Yeah, you can. And right. I think you're 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 right to sort of say, um, oh my god, the the parallels are quite weird in a sense. Yeah, right? that's why. As yeah, as you were it saying is that, quite was... weird. I'm like, oh, you're right, because now I think to myself, I don't feel if people go back, I I understand why they go back. So I wouldn't judge them for it. And I'm not saying you should have just pulled yourself together. I would never have that position because I think you're right. I think there's some privilege to say you can pull things out. I, my privilege is I had like you, friends and family who could support me and I can speak English and I, you know, I have reasonable intelligence. So I knew I could kind of get a job. Like there are all these things that um, I did not work for, I just had. And therefore that's helped. What are you going to do? And when you have organisations like Recovering From Religion, right, you get a lot out of and people will get a lot out of shared stories to say that, you know, I was able to make a life for myself yeah. and this is how I did it and yeah. this is what I went through. And yeah. that's um, something which uh, I try to do with this podcast is talk Correct. to guys who have been to prison who turn their life around to say, actually, there's heaps of these stories. You can do it too, right? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and that's really important because if we just stuck to our little network of people that we know, you know, we may not be exposed to those different endings. Um, you know, part, part of what you're doing and part of what, I, you know, is to say um, – not to be, um, what's it called, like too Pollyanna about it, but sometimes these stories have got happy endings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't. Yep. Um, and, you know, we can support you in whichever path you want to take and whatever that means for you, but ultimately um, not to feel so alone because I think all, we cannot function as humans very well on our own. And the isolation of in, in, both of those situations and a bunch of other situations mm. is if you feel like you're the only one that's ever felt like this or that's ever gone through this, like it's a fairly dark place to be, you yes. know. You just need to know somebody else has gone through this. It's not new. Yep. Yeah. Hearing that someone else has been through it and they and they overcame it, right, Yeah. can make you believe it can. yourself. Right? Yeah, because otherwise you just think it's all – Shit. Um, yep. And as much as, you know, the internet is rubbish and full of crap, uh, there's there are Facebook groups. Like I know, like I've tried to find a very unique selling point to do my comedy, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I've written like I'm the only one in Sydney, fine. But ultimately I'm not the only one because um, there are these little pockets, niche communities, which I would never have met. There is a Facebook group for LGBTQI ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. In Australia. Wow. It's like, what? Okay, yeah. Are there any other ex-JW comedians in Not, Australia? I don't know. You I don't have, know? I'm hoping we'll find each other if there is. Like, yep. I've been knocking and no one's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. Uh, but, yeah, I, I feel like, um, you know, that's really important. And and I, I have done comedy. Like I'm not big on the comedy scene, but I just 
I just do my bit that I yep. think is um, interesting to me, which is mostly Bible based or yep. about my experience of, um, and the people um, that have got a similar experience always come up afterwards and they're like, oh, it's just nice to laugh about like sort of quite difficult topics. Like I'm sure you get the same. It's like, oh, thanks for saying something about it. Absolutely. It feels like an invisible um topic but to laugh about it is different energy again it is to say it's sad and and whatever it's it is one thing but to laugh about it kind of changes it yeah it's weird. i think it's a, a way of fighting back against it right yes to, to, that's to, right. to laugh at it that's yep. that's absolutely why i started doing jokes about my time in prison and getting arrested because yep. i it was either that or cry about it exactly you know? and, so and you've like... probably done that like you know <laughs> what i mean i feel like i'm, I'm done with that um yep. what but you do they say comedy is um tragedy plus time you right. do need time yeah to get I, over it <laughs> i had never thought about well i had thought about doing stand-up but i'd never um, written any real jokes until yeah. uh, I went to prison and right, right. then I had time. plenty of material. I was <laughs> yes. like, this sucks. This is all funny. Yep. Um, I mean, I love the ones that you do about like the menu. <clears throat> That's a very clever like. I get a lot of people message me about the, the prison food reviews yeah. to say, oh, my loved one's in prison right now. This helps me feel closer to them. And that's like, that's and then cool. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that is very um, cool. I love that. You know, because I just, I needed something because my, my mind was just going nuts in there. Yeah. I, I started to do them just as a way to keep myself sane. Yeah. And then it was a fun thing for me and my cellmates to yep. be like, I'd be like, what did you give, what did you give it? <coughs> 6.4. You'd be like, oh, way too high, mate. That's a 5.8. Oh, it's brilliant. It's really good. And that, that means you used humour to cope in even in that um, situation, which I, uh, makes total sense. Well, that was when I laughed. There was times in prison when things were so funny and I laughed so hard and I'd forget where I was, you yeah, know. Right. And, it's, and that was the reason why I was like, I've got to do this yep. for, with my life because – if you can forget that you're in prison, that's then pre- you're that's, like, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it really is. And laughing and all the hormones and all the good stuff that you get from just laughing. Yeah. So I was like, if I can spend my life making people laugh and forget about their own shit for a few minutes, uh, that seems like a pretty worthwhile use of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. Um, it is, and it will continue to be because yeah. there will always be people. And that's how I feel. I don't feel there's going to be a way that – you can solve people going to prison or I can solve people getting caught up in cults. But I really want to, as much as possible, also help people avoid those things, you know? And everything in between, whether it's job loss, divorce, there's a million miserable people out there, yes, right, that need a laugh. absolutely are. That's right. <laughs> Every, I know. A lot of people that are in good, desperate need of a laugh. They do. They so, do. So how old were you when you celebrated your first birthday? Oh, I was 22. Yep. Yeah, I know. And, um, I've, you know, it's weird celebrating birthdays when you've never celebrated it. I, I, I know some people love it and then they're like totally into it trying to make up for lost time. I, I find it awkward and I don't have the positive associations like you might, like yeah. when you're a kid and people are all gathering around and they're trying to sing to you and I just were like, please do not give me any attention. Was Christmas any better or same thing? Mm, oh, I didn't mind Christmas because to me Christmas was a, a family people gathered round thing. I'm not big on presents. Like I don't need presents. I, I don't – that's not my love language or whatever else yep. you want to call it. Um, so I like, you know, I like giving presents but I like time. Yeah. Like and, and – um, My connection. family do for um, like my extended family yeah. um, when we had Christmas events because um, we didn't really need anything either. Yep. We, we, we'd um, – all do like a secret Santa, but um, we, we donate money to charity. And oh, yeah. then, um, the secret Santa was just, it had to be a shit present. 
I love that. It had to be like the worst thing you could find. It had to be ten dollars or less, a shit present Brilliant. you could find. And, and so what did you? What, I'd get like a. I, I remember one time I chucked in like um, some TV series. It was like season seven, disc eight. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a torture. Of, of like Andromeda or something <laughs> like that. Brilliant. Or one time I found a. Um, at some homewares place, it was a bar of soap yeah. in the shape of Jesus Christ, and it was called Hope on a Rope. <laughs> <laughs> and That's very, uh, very good. And, and what you're buying them for others, or did you get that? So you wrap them up, you chuck it. We, we, we you wrap them up and chuck them all in the basket, oh, you and, don't then you know. do, and then it might say like um, for a man, okay. or right. for a woman, or, or otherwise it could be unisex. Yeah, but then right, you just right. throw out a random one. That's cute. And I love so, that. so and much and more people, fun. You get more, much more fun out of a novelty present than. Um, something. Big full on. I know because I just look at it as such a financial burden for families like at that time of year. Yeah. I'm like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why? Because Jesus, that's when Jesus was born. No, it wasn't. He was born at a different time of year, mm. you know, and this was just used as a way to bring on board pagans and Christians together to celebrate something all at the same time. Right. That's why I didn't celebrate Christmas growing up. That was the reason I gave as a six-year-old why I don't celebrate Christmas. Um, so I, I think part of me is a bit like, I still think that it's like, it is weird. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, I do enjoy the fun sides of it. Um, but I still struggle with birthdays. I don't like that kind of attention on, on just me. Um, yeah. I know that I also then do comedy. I don't know. It's hard to explain. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Yeah. I mean, they're different things, right? One, one, yeah. you're, you're trying to, it, it's only a, kind of a side result of you just trying to make people's Laugh and smile, right? Yes, I yes, think, that's I, right. Well, I, at least you're trying to do something. I feel yeah. like with my birthday, I just, I just haven't died since this time last year, and that's what we're celebrating. Just doesn't feel like yep. a, <laughs> a good enough reason, you know. So, how old were you when? Uh, so, your mum found out first that you were gay. And, well, yeah, oh, my, my sister and then my sister, mum. Yep. And then, and then, was there a time gap before your dad found out? Yeah. So, I told, I wanted to try and tell him in person because he had responded so. Badly, I had this massive fallout for both my brothers when, mm. when they left, and I thought, okay, I, I just need to have this conversation with him. You know, I think he'll respect it if I tell him, and I'll just face deal with the face. consequences. And I think there was a self-flagellation aspect where I was like, I want someone to really kick off at me about it. You know, yeah. I, I wanted to kind of fight it to, to feel it. Do you know what I mean? You wanted to have the conflict. Yeah, I did. I think yeah. I did. I wanted someone to say the horrible things I felt already about myself. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, I, I went over to the house. Then mum happened to have a church meeting that night. And so she had made us dinner. Sorry, sorry. I moved back home uh, to Australia to renew my visa. Yeah. And I thought this is it. I arranged to go around when mum wasn't there. That was important because I knew mum would be really upset by it. And I wanted to talk to him without it further upsetting her. Mm. So she went off to a church meeting and left us to have um, dinner. And so I was just kind of sitting with him and, you know, I'd come back from being in the UK for two years. So I was sort of saying how I was feeling and uh, I was saying I was feeling really crap and, you know. And you must have been sitting there. I would have been shitting myself oh. like thinking like, when am I going to say it? When am I going to oh, say it? When am I going to say it? A hundred percent. I was like, like ha- what's no- an in? <laughs> yeah. I know. How do I ease this into the conversation? <laughs> I, know. Right? I know. We weren't even having fish. Like there was just no entry point to talk about being a lesbian. So, <laughs> yeah, we were eating steak actually. Doesn't even make sense. So I said, I um, uh, I said, I've. Anyway, I, I was trying to say about my life in London yep. and I got to a point where I was like, I've met someone and, you know, I'm in love. And he he said, uh, is it a woman? And I was like, oh, wow. yes. And he, very cal- and he was so calm and I was like, okay. 
you know. So does that mean your mum had said something? I don't know. Or, or he, he just... had, might have suspected. Yeah. Um, and then he he sort of very calmly said how revolting it was and how against it was that nature and sort of very calmly it wasn't sort of. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know you think that and, you know. Well, anyway, this is, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Finish up our dinner. Okay. See you later. And I go. And I'm like calling everyone. Like it went unbelievably well. (laughs) I'm like, this is crazy. I just cannot even believe. Like he said the things, but he also didn't shout at me and kick me out. Like it was like, oh. So it felt more like he was just saying it because it was, he had to say it. Yeah. But it wasn't, there was no strong feeling. No strong feeling. Yeah. Mm. And then what happened? So I'm like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable how this has gone. This is great. And dream result. <laughs> dream result. As it could be, right? Yeah, that's right. However. However, over time, I over time he just stopped talking to me. Mm. So he didn't have a big bang ending. He just <laughs> gradually would say less and less and not, you know. And my dad is crazy in the sense that, you know, if we called the house, eventually I moved back to um, London. If I called the house mm. um, and, you know, mum was there, he'd be like, straight over to mum. He, he Like once he knew it was me, I'd be like, hi, dad, can I you know, speak? And then he wouldn't say anything. And then eventually if mum wasn't there, he'd be like, you know, mum, no home and hang up. And, and then eventually, and then I just thought this is so stupid. Um, so my my strategy was to just say, hello, can I speak to, um, and I, you know, Linda, please. And he would like, I'm sorry, Linda's not home. Can I take a message? And I'd be like, yes, can you tell her that her daughter Naomi has called to speak to her? Because he wouldn't recognise my voice. You're pranking your own I know. Dad. I'm like, this is stupid. But I felt somewhat empowered because, you know, every time you just get hung up on or you're like made to feel like you don't exist. It's yeah, like, but if you put on a fake voice. But if you voice. put on a fake voice, I know. I mean, it's not like the radio show prank, thankfully, but that, yeah. like nothing terrible ever happened. But, but yeah, it, it made me feel a little bit like a bit of... <clears throat> Power or power's not even the right word, but mm. some kind of control uh, of that yep. situation. So yeah, it's, it's quite funny. <laughs> Very weird. And so you, you didn't talk, but basically at him, yeah. basically with him for many at, years. So at, I yeah. lived all the rest of the time in London. Obviously, I'd come back for visits. But, I mean, I would avoid it by then. You know, Mum and I would meet out in a cafe. I ca- then I came back to Sydney to live and. A mum and I would meet regularly, but it would be outside the house. Mm. Um, and anyway, and then during COVID, during COVID, when there was a toilet paper shortage, mm. I I managed to get like an eighteen pack of three ply Kleenex toilet paper. Coveted, coveted. Everyone wants that. We will never think again. How did you get it? <laughs> I it was being unloaded in my local supermarket Holy and I messaged my mum and said, are you guys all right for toilet paper? And she's like, oh, we're actually a bit low. Mm. And where they were is where all the fighting uh, in the supermarkets were. So I knew, <laughs> nah. So I was like, okay, well, I'll drive and drop some off, which now this would be the first time I was driving up to the house for a really long time because normally with me outside the house and I knew he was home because it was COVID, right? And everyone was in um, isolation. So I was like, oh. You know, just can't be. And by this stage, do? I'm He'd in my forties. He would just hide away when you were over, or what would he no, do? No, he would just just walk. He would just like not acknowledge, not acknowledge me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, such weird behaviour, isn't like, it weird? Yeah. yeah, you know. And it, for like a 
Anyway, mm. so I knock on the front door and I'm like, your stomach is a little bit in knots. You know what I mean? Like a little bit anxious. Yeah. And um, mum comes to the door and she's also looking anxious because like this is all just a bit awkward. And so I walk in with the toilet paper and dad is on the sofa and he stands up and he goes, hello. And I'm like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is it, are we doing this? You're like, what's uh, going okay. on here? Yeah. yeah. And then his first words to me were, because he knew I'd been in, I'd been in the UK on secondment for work, and I'd come back when COVID kicked off. Yeah, he knew I'd been away because Mum would have said. And he said, um, "These were his. This was his first sentence to me. He said, uh, I guess you didn't do much exercise while you were in London.' <laughs> and how long had it been since you last had a conversation? Twenty-two years. Twenty-two years. Yeah, and fat shaming was the first thing on the. <laughs> On the top of the list. Aren't family members weird. <laughs> Isn't it yeah. hilarious? I lo- I burst out laughing because it was such a shock. Like you're just like, <laughs> hey, you're talking, but and this, all, this was the thing. If you had a list of like, you know, 20 things you could have guessed, the first thing he would have said. It would not have appeared. I, I don't know why it didn't. Maybe it was I shouldn't be so shocked by it, but I was so shocked and it was just hilarious. So I started laughing. I mean, that's funny, but also the fact that toilet paper was the olive branch. I know. Right? I know. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew that's what it would take? That is I know. Such... He must just have some real bum issues that he was so grateful that I mean, he's going to such... put it all behind him. Behind him. Sorry, I heard it. Yep. <laughs> that is such an Aussie story. Isn't like, it? Because, I mean, we all know how much everyone coveted yes. the toilet paper that it's so funny that that would be the thing that broke the ice after 20 years of yes, silence. of silence. <laughs> Thank you for keeping my bum clean. Thank you, daughter. Yep, that's it. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and now he's been talking to me ever since. Um, and, I mean, in the way that, you know, it's not in-depth I mean, I mean, surely if you're your <laughs> mum, when you left, you would have been like, what well, was that about? He, no, but she wouldn't have that relationship yeah. with him. Yeah. yeah she's she's okay. kind of, she's just going to go with the flow. She's not going to rock the boat. She's yeah. not going to. But she was a bit like, is this a one-off? Like, and the next time I came around, no, it was fine. And oh. yeah, that, and that's how it's been ever since. Now we think maybe there's a little bit of sort of maybe some dementia kicking in. and Could be or it could be just the, the healing power of three-ply toilet paper. Mate, I mean, absolutely. And that knows? little puppy on the um, – that little puppy on the that's, – that's what <laughs> On the sorbent. Yeah. 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 He loves loves little puppies. But, yeah, I know it's quite strange um, situation. I mean, it could, there's so many things it could be. I mean, I think also um, people had such a tough time during COVID, yeah. right, that I think it just um, – it affected people's priorities and I think it made people kinder. I think so, yeah. I mean, it had it probably had a few different effects, but I think overall mm. there was a bit more consideration of others because mm. you were kind of forced to do things that were considerate of others, which is not to infect others. And um, maybe also he's getting old and he's just thinking about his mortality. Um, and I mean, it, it would be very hard as a parent to be looking back at your life and think I had I have these four beautiful children yeah. and I don't have any more or I don't have a relationship anymore with three of them. Yeah. Uh, I would find that a heavy burden to bear Maybe. every day. I didn't vibe from him that that was an issue for him. Sure. I don't know why. Maybe maybe it ultimately is, but I actually But that I, must be a feeling for many parents yeah. in Jehovah's Witness faith, right, when their oh, child leaves. Yeah. Yep. Um that they must be so conflicted. Yep. Um, and 
So, I mean, you were lucky, right, that your mum continued to talk oh, to you yes. the whole time. That's but right. there must be so many parents that choose not to, but like wake up every day feeling that the burden conflicted of it. feeling between yep. their faith and, and the love of a child. Yeah, that's um, right. And yep. obviously the love for you won out in that instance, yep. but there must be, it must be, uh, it sounds like for a lot of people in that faith, you're just constantly juggle, juggling uh, feelings, complicated feelings of conflict. I think so. And I think um, then numbing them. Mm. Um, and they don't drink or take drugs. So mm. it's numbing it through like detaching from those emotions. And being um, smothered by the community, get around you anytime love you love you. Down. And it's all like, yeah. And I, I still have to figure out, navigate my way through heavy emotions. So if I'm feeling something, mm. I'm very easy to just shut it off. You know, um, Book of Mormon, have you ever seen that musical? I've seen the musical, yeah, it's great. You know that song where he goes, just switch it off? Like a light switch, yeah. <laughs> That's it. yeah. <laughs> to me, I mean, I was in tears of laughter. That that musical feels very amazing. That's amazing. Trey Parker it is the amazing, best. Such a shocker. Yeah. It's the best. Um, but anyway, that. That song, uh, never mind, that feeling is a thing where you can just, you something awful could be happening at home, but when you rock up to church, smiles go on. You cannot be sad when you go into that environment. You it's cannot be down because they just don't accept it as an emotion. You can't be angry. They don't, you know, accept it. It's like you yeah, have to just maintain this like happy to lock smiles. these feelings all away in little buckets. Ned Flanders, you know, like mm. on, on acid. Yeah. It's just that, <laughs> howdy, howdy, like let's all pretend. Um, so really it's a constant battle because that stuff is in sort of indoctrinated yeah. in this is how we behave. Like this is what we do at home. This is how it is outside. We don't let people see that thing. You know, it's hard to unpick that and go, I'm going to just feel this emotion as I'm feeling it, not sort of go this is upsetting, you know. Um, uh, anger, I still really, I can't, I really struggle to find anger still. What do you mean by f finding it? You, just, you don't get I don't angry? get angry. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It, and, and what to me that I figured out is because I don't, um, I haven't been easy, I haven't been able to easily find boundaries, right? Because mm. anger is usually because someone's crossed a line, right? Yeah. But if you don't have a line, yeah, they just can come in and out and you just kind of go, well, I'll move away from that or I'll. Sure. But but it, so how do you manage that without being a doormat to people? Well, you just are a doormat for a while, yeah. which is appropriate for an extra Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> but also I think you I, – I think I was a doormat for a while. Yeah. But then after that I'm trying to find um, something steely that would at least like – you know, I do get angry sometimes, but it's – it. Yeah, it's not a comfortable feeling that I, I can find. And so it's I probably do shut down more than I do get angry. So if I do get to a boundary, I might protect myself, but I wouldn't attack Yeah, on a very rare occasion. Uh, I, are there yeah. any kind of feelings that feel like more raw to you than others in terms of things that you feel now that you weren't, that you feel like you weren't allowed to feel when you were? Before? Yeah. Um, like, down, mm. yeah, I, that was probably my go-to because I thought I, I suppose if they're all different avenues, um, it's the one I feel like uh, when I left, as I was leaving, and when I left, uh, like to sort of being very down or depressed was the one I felt like okay, I can nail that because um, it's isolating. It's um, people leave you, you know, kind of leave you alone. You kind of go into your own dark headspace. I, f I found that very easy to kind of get into. Yeah, um, and actually, I was sort of happy with it, really. It's weird. You were, you, were, you were happy with the feeling of being allowed to be sad. Yeah. 
Right. And I kind of linger in it a little bit. I, I lounge around in it a bit. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's nice to be able to acknowledge that you're sad yeah. and not have to like second guess or feel like you have to instantly escape be that happy. feeling. Yes. Right? Yeah, Just, exactly. Because then you can sit there and think, okay, why am I feeling this feeling? That's what it. can I do about it? Instead of how do I make it a, go away? Like putting a band-aid solution yeah, on it and yeah. just trying to distract yourself out of it. That's right? it, which is what I did. A lot of socialising, like a lot of socialising, you know, a lot of having people around. People were my medicine to feeling that. Um, so, yeah, absolutely that is the one that I found easier. And, you know, I, I don't think anger is an amazing um, emotion to demonstrate always. It doesn't seem to have huge Great. Uh, upside? Upside. But I think there is an upside to feeling it yep. um, and then managing how it comes across. I don't know. Do you, are you, what's your I mean, go-to I was, emotion? <laughs> I, I was certainly uh, angry like growing up. Yeah. yeah um, and I, now I, I just try and weaponize it um, for good, right? Yeah, so right. like my, a lot of my comedy comes from like places of, of anger, anger and hate and I try and use that yeah, right. for a positive outlet because um, – you know, there's certainly I, – I, I've been down the road of using it in a um, destructive yeah, way and yeah. uh, nothing really good comes from that. But um, there are certainly positive ways that you can use it and I try to use it for humour. Oh, um, absolutely. And um, it, it's brave, isn't it, anger? Like it's brave to, to speak up and not be a, not to be scared, right? So yep. for you to feel that you can sort of express yourself, I think that makes sense um, to use it in that way. And, it, yeah, I mean, it feels good to me to like, – make something funny out of a negative feeling. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. And I think it comes across because I have such animosity behind what I'm saying, right, <laughs> yes. that I think it comes across yeah. when I say it as I believe what I'm saying. A hundred percent. And you've lived what you're saying. But yep. also you do present in a very kind of cheerful way. Yes. Like, and that, that sort of not exactly aligned also makes it funny. True, but I mean, yeah, that, I think that's I think a misconception. But a lot of guys in jail, I mean, that's, most of them are hilarious. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, a lot of the guys that are considered scary, most of them um, once they've sobered up and they're not on drugs. Yes, um, fair they're they're very funny dudes. Funny, yeah. <laughs> well, I, it makes sense. I think I think you can't be dumb funny, right? Like if you're not right. if you're not smart, I think it's hard to find comedy if you're genuinely not smart. I think yep. even the ones that play. Characters that are, you know, apparently dumb are very, very smart in doing that. Yeah. Um, Phoebe in neighbor, uh, Neighbours, oh, my God. <laughs> Phoebe in Friends yep. is really, really smart. But yep. She plays the dumb blonde, right? Or even like one of my favourite comics of all time is Norm MacDonald and I, um, he, he always portrayed this kind of dumb everyman but um, you could see there was a, like yep. there was this intense intelligence behind it. it exactly. And and so I think sometimes um, you that's how you find yeah, that's how you can find humour in, in things that are, you know, dark. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to be able to see it. So you're living back in you live back in Sydney yeah, now? Yeah, back in Sydney, yeah, right. yeah, and be here for a while. And your brothers still live in the UK or where do well, they live? One lives in the UK and one lives in um, New Zealand now. Cool. Yeah, so they kind of um, – we're a bit all over the shop. Um, and, yeah, it like I think my dad's – Turned a bit of a corner. He's talking to all of us. Um, That's cool. Yeah, and so you talk to your so. mum. So, sorry, do you talk to your sister as well? Um, as much as she would like. Yeah, yeah. Which is not much, yeah, but okay. in relation to our parents, like aging parents, yes. um, in relation to necessities, yes, she will. Um, yeah. We still get along really well, um, right. but it's just uh, it's such a barrier for her 
my lifestyle choice that I think she just has to do what would be considered right by the religion, um, yep. which is not to spend too much time or normalise it. Yep. So, yeah. Did you – was it hard losing any of the, the, the friends that you had oh, from yeah. it as well? Yes. Like it, in a way that it was um, very, very hard at the time but on reflection, you know, time kind of heals things and yeah. then you think <clears> – <throat> So when I came back to Australia, I I wrote an email to each of my closest friends and said, look, I'm coming back. Here's what you need to know. Um, uh, I'd love to meet up and see how you are and check in. Obviously, I'm not going to, yeah, obviously I know your position. It's fine, but I just thought I'd love to Any see Any response? You. Yeah, responses all saying they didn't want to see me. So that's fine. So they were all kind of – they would have been policing each other at that point. So yeah. I knew that it was all for one, one for all, and I knew that they probably wouldn't. Totally. It would so, have taken balls for any of them to break rank, right? Correct. So I knew that, but I also wanted to say, you know, to, to, to say I don't – listen, it's not me not talking to you. It's you not talking to me. I'm always happy to talk to you. Yeah. Um, and so that was the end of that. You know what I mean? And that's like – well, I was 21 when I left – so for some of them, I'd known them since I was, you know, since I was very young. Um, and so at that time, that really hurt. And I had no no clue how to start forming friendships from scratch, which I don't think is a um, unique situation. I think having to make friends when you move to a new country is hard for anyone, no yep. matter the circumstance. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, my brother um, and his family have moved to um, Newcastle, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, That's... So he's got a young family yep. um, when they've grown up in kind of inner Sydney. Yeah. And, um, I mean, any of those kind of things where you just um, – where you relocate yourself yeah. um, and you still want to have some kind of social life, it, it can be hard, particularly when you're older. It's not as easy yep. as when you're a kid um, to, to, to build friendships. Yep, absolutely. Um, so a lot of people end up doing it just um, – through their kids or something like that, right? Yeah, so how kind do you do of, what's it? What's your common ground? Like, you know, it's trying to figure that out. I think I was lucky when I moved to London when I when I did. I was 21. So that was the beginning of working. I discovered drinking. You know, I discovered like partying. All I was these like, oh. easy ways to meet new people, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, that really helped. Now, if I tried to do it now, it'd be like how many dinner parties will it take to, to, come, to bond with these people? Like it's yep. harder. But at that age, I was going out, you know, people I was working with, you sort of build your community. Mm. Um, then there was a the whole kind of lesbian community I was introduced to and so that was another one. So in an in a weird way, it's even weird to say it, I was glad I was a lesbian as it turned out because that was already a sort of marginalised, already made community that had a reason to hang out with each other. Yeah. Now if I didn't have that and I was just going to go into the big wide world, I'd need to find something else mm. um, that brought people like-minded people together. Not that all lesbians are like-minded but at least you had this thing in common. Yeah. So, yeah, um, you know, it was – I was lucky in that as well. Um, so, yeah. I mean, is the gr group <laughs> recovering from religion? Yeah. <laughs> it must be hard. That You could find friends through that, right? But there are all these people that have got similar <laughs> Absolutely. fucked up life stories, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a good way to find other kindred spirits, yeah. I guess, that have um, – Yeah. But um, – It's a language thing as well. <clears> like it, I imagine this is what it's like for people that speak a different language and come to another country. When you meet someone who speaks your language, mm. it's nice. Yep. Yeah, so when I speak to Sasha and, you know, Sherry and other people who have extra witnesses, 
there's a common language that we all use and I like, oh yeah, you know, you used it earlier and it's like, oh, that's, I know what you're talking about, even though it makes no sense to anybody else. It's like a little secret language. Yeah. Yeah. That must be cool. And are there people that you associate or you meet now who are just leaving Jehovah's Witness or any other religions that uh, feel a bit lost that that can lean on you? Uh, Only through, um, only really through the, um, through the RFR support groups, um, my circle—it's kind of weird, isn't it? I don't know if I'm a little bit biased or what. I mean, I do have religious friends, but not super uber religious friends because I think I would struggle, yeah. and I think they'll struggle with me. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot—you know—I do comedy about religion, religion, right? and yeah. God and the Bible. And if you were very religious, you would—you may find, find that, that offensive. If they, if they yeah. find that offensive, then yeah. it's hard to um, come back from that. friendship. Yeah, you can't, and you. You almost sort of do want someone with a similar worldview. Like, I don't think the world's going to end. I don't think when I die I'm going to go to heaven or hell. Mm. I don't think someone's watching me all the time. How I choose to behave is a decision I make. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't pray. Like, all these things that people that might be doing those things might want to do with someone, Yeah. I'm just going to be like, um, not the right person. So it, as it turns out, no, I, I, I don't have – like, my network is sort of – Mixed, but I would say heavy on the agnostic atheist. Uh, Do you feel happy now with your yeah. life? Yeah, yeah. This cool. is the happiest I've ever felt. Um, this uh, now that I'm trying to nut things out, like how I respond to my dad talking to me again. You know, these are luxuries, or, or yeah. these little things that I'm trying to figure out, like how to get angry. What? That's such a non-issue. But I'm getting to them now because I feel so many other things have come together. Like I got married last uh, towards the end of last year. And just, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, just because I can. That's yeah. Why. yeah but, uh, no, but I uh, like it, <laughs> You're like, fuck it. Exactly. Who wants we to get married? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, but, you know, also just like f- having a loving relationship, which makes mm. sense to me and I can be myself and feel like not have to put the face on. Yeah. You know, those are new things and I, you know, I feel very happy with it. I, it's not cool to be a happy comedian. I don't know if you have noticed that, but I really struggle at times. Like I'm digging stuff out from my history because if I were to talk about now, this is not a very funny shit material, right? Yes, it would be so shit. So I don't know. It's a it's a weird. Um, I don't want to hear about you being happy. Fucking. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> I mean, everyone's a bit co- post COVID and a bit like tired of all that. Um, but no, broadly, I would say I'm probably most comfortable in my own skin. Um, how about you? It's crazy that I think about the fact that I, I mean, I say this a lot on this podcast, but I'm um, 36, yeah. I'm broke and I live with my parents and I'm Brilliant. probably the happiest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> you, you, was it the same when you were 16? Uh, no, I, I, I was happy as a kid, you know. Yeah. I, I enjoyed all that and I went to uni and had a great time. But just over the years between I just – Became a slave to drinking and partying yep. and gambling yep. addiction and then yep. later drug addiction and um, yeah I just somewhere uh, along the way I lost I lost myself yeah um, and, and you're feeling more now I I like the man I see in the mirror yeah. and I and I love my life and um, brilliant so that's why I'm like I, none of this would happen if I didn't have it all go to shit it has to and that's I get that that's the um, when I when I even think of what your podcast is called like. Mm you know, shit going sideways. Yeah. I, I think the alternative is for it never to to go. Like sideways kind of is movement and change. Yeah. 
and sometimes change is what is needed, you know, to, to mix something up. Otherwise, we're just going to be. You could have stayed uh, as a um, Jehovah's Witness, never marrying, yep. right, living as a spinster yeah. and just and living and dying wondering. Right? Isn't that awful? That is another sliding doors, another parallel universe. There's a version of you that never did those things, that never spoke up, never spoke to your brother, never went to London. That's right. And is going to lay on on her deathbed and think, fuck, what different life have I I done? And and this life, you're happy. It's it's incredible. And also happened really quickly. Like it didn't, it didn't, um, well, no, actually, that's bullshit. It did take, it did take a while because I think you go. It takes. It's a bit of exploration to get to happy. Mm. Just leaving something like you coming out of prison, you're not immediately like, "Yay, I'm out of." You know, there's that bit afterwards. I yeah. think that you're like that's where the hard work starts, in a sense. When you've I got only, to figure I it found out. I had trouble readjusting even after four months. So I can't imagine yeah. what it's like yeah. for guys who do. For ten years, right? Yeah, you get so used to a, a, a certain way of the world and uh, and a routine, yeah. And then, um, you know, to be free to make your own decisions, yeah. like oh, I get to decide what I do every day, um, is terrifying. Oh. I've been told what to do all the time. Absolutely. Um, suddenly, yeah. That's why I thought um, jail is easy. Real life is hard. And I, so one, um, it's so weird that you say that, like one of the biggest things I, I felt bad about not loving was the freedom. So when I got out of being a Travis witness, I was like, I can do whatever. And everyone's like, you can do whatever you like. You can watch this. You can follow If you want to go to uni, you can go to uni. And I was just like, can someone just tell me what to do now? Because I had been given every single pathway laid out for me. Yeah, you've been given all the instructions for so long. All the instructions. They'll tell you what movies to watch, what music to listen to, what all the things. And, and then suddenly when you're behind the steering wheel and you're like, fuck, what, it's exhausting. What, do I, what do I do? Where do I go? It's exhausting. Yeah. What do I like? I don't know. And now I have to try all these 16 flavours of peanut butter and <laughs> I don't know. No, that's not a good example. But, you know, it's like that. It's like a supermarket where you're like, this is an overwhelming choice. It's not the excitement necessarily that you think no. it will be. Yeah. And I, I felt guilty that I longed to be told what to do. And, and that is how I landed myself in a relationship which was a bit more like structured, let's yep. just say, you know. Um, where the person I was with knew what they wanted and it was easy for me to kind of just like get swept up in it. You know, not necessarily their fault, but I was not going to – it was easy. Why stand up to something if it's already decided? Yeah. <laughs> I could carry on living in that way, you know, and I can see how you cannot always enter the best relationships after, you know, you're not necessarily enjoying the feeling of having to make all your own choices. Yeah. Yeah. Not the – Yeah. But anyway, that's no longer a problem. I, I found from being locked up, I, I found it easy when it's the routine and you're told what to do and also I only had to worry about, I didn't have to worry about rent or, yes. um, you know, True. anything. My only job was just survive another day. Yeah, right? yeah. And so it made things so simple that uh, I found it quite um relaxing in a weird way compared to life the pressures the of life yeah because you've got to factor in all these other things these as stuff. well as surviving each day yeah yeah so it's uh, all this on top so it's can be quite overwhelming yeah uh, but i mean how do you how about now like in terms of connecting with people are you like relationships how how is that has that changed that for you at all um i don't know if it's necessarily because of anything to do with prison but um i 
I, I ended up in prison because my ex fiance had a mental breakdown um, on cocaine, which, oh, um, um, you know, was my fault because I had it around the house all the time. Right. She ran off and told the cops that I had a house full of drugs oh and, and got me raided. And, oh, my um, God. <laughs> And then um, you got one or two trust issues now. And then she that? and then she left me about three weeks into me being locked up. Oh, and, um, God. so that that I'm sorry. Um, that that's okay. I mean, look, um, I, I, I'm certainly not blameless in any of this. Yep. Um, I, she'd hardly done cocaine until she met me, and right. um, so yeah, I, it's it's my fuck up really. But um, yeah, so that's kind of affected my um, desire to really connect or get yeah. close to anyone at the moment. But plus, um, at the same time, I'm, I'm, I like the fact that um, I feel so driven at the moment to do all this other stuff, whether it's podcasts or comedy yeah. or working a job and exercising, that I might, I'm so busy. You're pumped. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That I, I just don't have time at the moment to, to have much of a Fair. personal life. Um, and I figure... I mean, I'm not exactly a dream catch at the moment being, you know, ah, living don't. with my parents. So I'm like, I'd rather just park that for a little while and work on myself. Yeah, I think um, that's fair. And, and those things will come in time. That, 100%. Yeah, I think when you're feel up for it, it, in a way, if you want, if you pull it before you're ready, um, it can be a really bad um, thing. Yeah, I don't want to just be doing it because I think I should. That's right. I'd, I'd rather just do it when. Um, it's organically. And when there's room in my life for that, for a person. Yeah. 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 Which but is great. I, I feel I'm so. I'm not asking you out, Andrew. I don't want you to freak <laughs> out. Like, but if I, I yeah. I, talking about kind of community, I, I feel like one thing that saved my life a lot was just the comedy community. When yeah, I got out right. and started doing open mic comedy and you get to know these guys because you go to all these yep. gigs and everyone's there at the same things. Yep. It's just right when I needed some new friends because like a lot of my friends had just like turned their back on me. Right. Um, and also, like, I'm older. I'm 36. Yep. Um, so a lot of my older friends were married and kids. kids and suddenly and you're around a different all route. these. Yep. And now suddenly you're around all these kind of uh, single um, incel comedians. I know. <laughs> I know. Like, that, uh, that are all amazing, right? Yep, and entertaining. And, and suddenly I've got this network of guys that are, are out all the time to socialize with that uh, had a genuine interest in getting to know me. And I was like, I. This this is so um, right what I what I needed right yeah, now. That's right. Yep. Uh, um. Also feel the same. So I I got into comedy because I read three or four back to back autobiographies of different comedians, mm. and then when they describe that time in their life when they start kind of hitting the open mics and that's it, I just thought, oh, that kind of sounds like fun. Yeah. Which you know it absolutely is. Where and, did you do yeah. your first open mic? Was it in All London? in London. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I I'd, I'd started off in London, but I never did bible stuff. Mm. That was weird. I just did all the kind of gay self-deprecating stuff and yep. then I took a break, a massive break and I moved by the time I was here. And it was only I was I was in my early 40s when I started back up here. Mm. And that was so different because I was in my 20s when I did it. It's like a different vibe. Like who wants to see an old lady get up on stage. And by by now I was like, I want to talk about the Bible stuff, but my parents are in Sydney. They'll maybe I have a risk of them seeing that I'm laughing at the religion mm. and at the Bible and they'll be really offended by that. I didn't want to offend my mum. I didn't care about my dad. Do they know now? Like, yes. Like my mum does. I don't know about my dad, but my mum um, is all over social media. Mm. Um, I, I, I tell people that, I mean, she has five Facebook accounts because for a while she she kept creating accounts rather like she kept signing up rather than logging in. 
It's a nightmare. Yeah, it's really a nightmare to un- unravel. It's such a like uh, boomer technology. Hundred percent right? is. It's it's so hilarious. But anyway, she one day saw an ad for one of my shows, um, where it's me, my face poking up behind a Bible, mm. and um, she said, uh, "Are you making fun of Jehovah's Witnesses?" And I said, "Oh, I don't know about making fun." I said, "I'm just talking about my experience. Like, are you making fun of the Bible?" I don't know, Mum. You know, some of it I just I just read what's there. I don't always have to say much more. Anyway, she's like, "Oh well, I don't think it's very respectful." I was like, "Ah, oh, I know. Well, what can you do?" That's a kind of angle on it. Mm. So I'm lucky in the fact that I feel, you know, I'm conscious of it, but it's not going to stop me because I, I was like, "What am I going to do? Wait till they die, and yep. then I'll be in my sixties trying to do stand up to talk about." I just you have to bite the bullet at some point. There's a little bit of confidence I was um, lacking, but I, I kind of just thought that's it. I've just got to do it. I thought my parents were going to shit a brick when I um, Did you? told them that I was going to get up on stage and do jokes about getting arrested and going to prison. Oh, of course, right? yes, because it's a similar thing. You know, it's a similar thing. It's like you bring shame to the yeah. family. Oh uh, god, that's hilarious. But I, I was the way I kind of justified it was like, look, this is the most interesting thing I'm ever going to have to talk about. <laughs> but also. <laughs> Uh, but also, there were already articles in the Daily Mail right. about my my arrest oh, and all this no. kind of stuff, you know. So I was like, the, the news is already out it's there. Yeah, like it's not like you can't hide I'm, it. I'm just I'm just trying to own my own fuck up, and yeah. and and do something productive with it. And how you're positioning it wouldn't be anything they would be um, embarrassed about, right? Like you are owning it. Um, like... I mean, there are some t- there are some jokes where I certainly um, glorify drug dealing okay, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. because it's funny. But um, you know, I, yeah. So I think that they they get they get it they get that it's for comedic purposes. Yep. And it's hard to argue about it when people in the room are laughing. That's true. You know, that's true. I I think that's right. It's when they're not laughing that it's devastating. But yeah. I'm sure you've been there, done that. Yes. So it's really hard. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, but it's. I think it's a good outlet. For it and storytelling and like what you're doing and just talking about it because it is the sort of thing that people don't always want to talk about. So all these things, right? Yeah. Um, I think these are things where when you hear someone making a joke about it and it's a good joke, you're laughing, but you're also like, "Wow, this is the world I don't know anything about." That's right. Oh, uh, I I get you that. Must get that all the you time. get that. Yeah, I yeah. reckon. Which is they kind of lean in. Sometimes I think. You know, I'm not um, always delivering as many jokes as I would like because sometimes yeah. I'm just like, this is kind of it. And people like, they're listening. I can tell they're listening, but I'm like, oh, I need to make them laugh. You know, there's a pressure to make them laugh. But I think there is a sense of um, curiosity to mm. to that new world of something they may not normally experience. Um, I just figure there are plenty of comedians out there doing, um, you know, observational stuff and they're going to be much, much better at that. And I think you're right. If you've got some unique angle, it's good to explore it on well, stage. Well, I mean, you've got this whole world that you can use observational stuff about that no one else That's has true. had the privilege yes. of being able to observe at all, right? <laughs> yes. So it's just like get prison food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, because um, they won't know. It's not relatable to a lot of people, but it's in- interesting. Yeah, and like the the world of like not being excited about a birthday, like all these kind of things. Yeah, true. Like it's, it's yeah. your observations that no one else. Um, yeah, true. Can do. Well, it, 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 in that birthday thing, you know, I, I I say in my comedy, like, there's no other situation in life where people stand around and sing at one person a song 
and they're not allowed to join in. Yeah. They have to just, just sit, sit and quietly. take it. Yeah, that's that's a weird situation. It's true. Isn't it? And yet, and I always look at the person whose birthday it is and I just watch for their expression. They're not loving it. Not no. really. In yeah, that moment, it's pretty awkward. Yeah. Particularly yeah. if you're in a restaurant or something and then, oh, no. and then strangers get involved. You know, like, they always look embarrassed like, oh. and like they want to die. Yeah, and then I think that must be the purpose of the cake to make that experience, like to, to have something at the end of it because yeah. it must just be awful. But it's weird. We all agree this is what we do and that's what we do. It's crazy. All these things that are around us all the time but um, if you're not used to it, it it's like a – you're like an alien, um, which I do feel like sometimes. That's yeah. what I mean. That, that there's all this stuff that perhaps you can dig into the well of all these things, which yeah. um, you know were normal for you when you were younger, yeah. which people would just find absolutely insane. That where there's just such a there's a good joke there. Yeah, I'm sure that you've been uh, absolutely delving into all that stuff for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You try the, and what, find I'm things. Saying, I'm saying. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward for one of these days. I'll see you in action. <laughs> yeah, and vice definitely. Versa. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely. Um, um, but, we'll definitely have to check out each other's uh, shows. But yeah, yeah. It's a it's a funny it's a funny situation to. Um, to see, to be part of, outside of a world and then in it. Yeah. Um, and be able to see it from the outside still, yeah. you know, and not really lose sight of that. I don't know what I'm going to do when I run out of uh, prison jokes. My... You know what to do. You've done it before. <laughs> just... My dad, when I got sentenced and I and I was in court wearing like three pairs of underwear because I thought I was going back inside <laughs> and I didn't go back and I ended up not going back, yeah. my dad said, sorry, Andrew, I know how much you wanted to go back to get more material because he knew <laughs> – he knew how badly I. But you had plenty of material in your trousers. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that cool. is hilarious. Well, well, I think, I think we've covered it off. Do you? I think so. Yeah, I feel pretty covered off. Thanks. That was great. That was um, really good to chat. Thank well, you. this has been another episode of Shit's Gone Sideways. I've been here with Naomi Mura. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Shit's Gone Sideways. 